Thanks, Tony. I could listen to your voice all day. That's a very beautiful scripture reading. So do you have a fishing story that you could tell me? We're not going to do that right now, but I wonder, you know, do you have a, you have a fishing story? I, I'll tell you one. So I've never been patient or particularly skilled at fishing. Good fishermen need at least a little of both. And when I was a boy, I liked to spend the evening on the margin of a pond on my grandpa's farm with my Zebco 404 rod and reel combination. I would cast and I would retrieve over and over again as fast as I could. My dad, my Uncle Bill, and my grandpa always said I needed to sit still and watch my bobber for a while. But I was able to pass my entire childhood from birth to about my sophomore year in high school without ever sitting still. (laughs) My mother said the only time I was quiet was when I was sleeping, and even then sometimes I made noise. One mellow late June evening, I was standing on the south edge of the pond, and I was casting a purple plastic nightcrawler into the water and reeling it in over and over. The sun was dropping over the hill in the west. It was glowing in the tops of the huge hickory trees on the hill to the north. I hadn't had a nibble all evening, and I could see that there were people on the porch of the house, and I wondered what they were doing. My sister or my brothers, or my cousins had something going. And so I decided that I would make one more cast and then reel in my line and then hike back and see what was going on. I cast out the purple worm for the last time, and I watched it for a second, and then losing patience, I began to retrieve my bait as fast as I could. I cranked on the reel, yanking the tip up of the pole, up and down with each rotation, pulling the bobber and the worm fast ashore. And just when the bobber reached the point where I would yank it out of the water, a terrific splash churned the water just behind it, and the line went tight. My prize was a nice, big, fat bass. Everyone was impressed. No one guessed that I landed without any patience or without any skill whatsoever. And every once in a while, on a perfect summer night, when a boy is flailing the water all the wrong way with all the wrong bait, providence will smile on him in spite of himself. And he'll hook into a fish that will still live in his memory when his sons and daughters have sons and daughters. Anyway, that's my fish story this morning. But I have a better one than that to tell. And Tony read it with his radio voice just now. Um, and, and that was this wonderful story of Jesus calling his disciple Peter and and others. The story uh, is embedded in a series of stories. We have told 13 of them so far. The stories that Luke, the physician, clustered together so that we would have certainty about who Jesus is. Remember that? Inasmuch, he wrote in the first chapter, inasmuch as many of us have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us or fulfilled among us, just as those who from narrative, that story, cluster of stories, true accounts, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, have delivered them to us. Um, It seemed good to me, having followed all things closely from some time past, to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus. And who knew 
that after Theophilus read this, it would go around the world and that Christians around the world for centuries would study this spirit-inspired narratives, accounts of Jesus, Jesus stories. And haven't they been fascinating? So Luke is, this, is introducing us to Jesus, and he begins with the angel Gabriel. Matter of fact, follow along there in your Bible. In the first chapter, you have the, the birth of John the Baptist foretold by the angel Gabriel to Zechariah. That would have been a fascinating account to observe. And then we have the birth of Jesus foretold to Mary by the angel Gabriel. And then we have an amazing visit from Mary to Elizabeth, and Mary burst into song. So Elizabeth's going to have a baby, John the Baptist, and Mary's going to have a baby, Jesus. This is a, the plot is thickening, and these people are going to be special. If you're announced by an angel, you're going to be extra special, I think. And so obviously... You have this forerunner of Jesus whose birth is announced by an angel, and it's miraculous, and the miraculous birth of Jesus, and then Mary and Elizabeth conspiring together and bursting into song, and then you have the birth of John the Baptist, and you remember his father can speak, and he bursts into song, and then when Jesus is born, an, an angel announces it from heaven to shepherds, and then a multitude of angels is with them. These are the stories. Remember the stories that we've been telling and, and they're fascinated. This is obviously a baby born to a virgin announced by angels is a story unlike anything anyone's ever heard or told before. And all of this was predicted in the Old Testament and fulfilled in detail hundreds of years later. And these are the stories that we've been reading. They go, uh, Jesus uh, is presented at the temple uh, an, an elderly man, Simeon, shows up sent by the Holy Spirit. He's sensitive to the Holy Spirit. The, whole, the Holy Spirit sends him, the Lord sends him to the temple, and he's blessing the baby. And then there's uh, Anna, there's a godly woman who's fasting and, and praying and faithful and waiting. And then you have the story of Jesus baptism and, a, and the Spirit descends on him and then he begins to teach and he begins to heal. He goes to his hometown and he announces the year of Jubilee and strongly states and hints that he's the Messiah, specifically states that he's the answer, he's the fulfillment of that prophecy. And so these have been fascinating stories, haven't they? Fascinating accounts of what's happening. And then Jesus goes away from the multitudes after healing many. And last week we talked about him casting out demons. And the word's just spreading around about him to the point where if he has any time alone, he has to get up early in the morning or he has to go to a remote place where people won't interrupt him. And then, and then we arrive back at this story, which is Jesus beginning to gather a team. Jesus began to gather a cluster of men and of women to follow him. And this is the first story that Luke tells about that, and it focuses on, on Peter. In the story of the calling of Peter, we're going to see how to be a disciple. And, and maybe we're even going to see why we are sometimes tempted not to follow Jesus, or why so many don't follow Jesus. 
And I've noticed there are at least five things. The first is this. A real disciple is a person who listens to Jesus. Who listens and learns and does what he says. If you're looking for points, that would be point number one. What is a real disciple? It's a disciple is one who listens to Jesus and does what he says. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, catch it? He's teaching. And like you, the people have gathered to hear teaching directly from Jesus. Can you imagine? Our tennis would be better today if we could have announced, oh, Ken's not preaching today because Jesus is preaching. Would you, would you bring friends? I would be like, unbelievable. That'd be great, wouldn't it? To hear Jesus teach. Now he's healed and he's cast out demons and he's traveled around and, he, and, and now the people say, and, and people are gathering and it's like, like always, everyone's listening except the, some people aren't. Some people are like preoccupied, mess, they're, they're surfing their phones. I mean, they're mending their net. I meant they're mending their nets. They're, they're mending their nets. Uh, they're, they're not mending their nets. That was another passage. What are they doing in this passage? They're washing, they're cleaning their nets. Yeah. So they're like, yeah, they're not. Well, there's probably a reason for that. But that's what we have here. We have Jesus speaking. The Word is speaking the Word. It's interesting. By the Lake Gennesaret, and you know that the Sea of Galilee, Luke, is, Luke may have been a ship's doctor because he's so familiar with the nautical terms. That's just a sanctified guess. But some people think that because he's so familiar, he tends to default to nautical terms. And he recognizes that this is not an ocean. This wonderful body of freshwater is a, is, a, is a large inland lake, a freshwater inland lake. And he calls it the Lake of Gennesaret because it's named after the valley nearby. It's shaped like a harp. So Sea of Tiberias, so they're interchangeable terms. I went to sleep last night as the la- one of the last things that I thought about was an old hymn we used to sing, Beside the Syrian Sea. That was a, I, I didn't go back and research that this morning. Why was that called in that hymn, the disciples that sat beside the Syrian Sea? Anyway, he saw two boats by the lake. The fishermen had gone out with them and were washing their nets. There are things that I, can own, that I own you can mess with if you want to. I don't really care. If you mess with my tools, I don't really care. I'm not a tool guy, you know? Now, some men here, women here, you wouldn't want to mess with their tools because they're serious about their tools. Me, you wouldn't want to mess with my books. Now, that would be a different thing altogether. You, you wouldn't want to mess with my bike. I'd be like, oh, mm. like a few of you, I've let you ride my bike. That means I love you a lot. Like if you rode my bike, I love you. I trust you. Anyway, with your, if you're a fisherman, you wouldn't want people messing with your boat. That's your livelihood. If you saw somebody touch your boat, you'd be like, wouldn't you? You'd be like, oh, he just touched my boat. <laughs> this is interesting. All the focus is on Jesus. He's teaching. And it says, he saw two boats, but the fishermen had gone out of them or washing their nets and getting into the one of the boats, which was Simon's. Now, Peter, Jesus calls Simon Peter. It means the rock. It's his nickname for him. 
I wonder if Jesus smiled when he said that. I don't know. I, in, I've, in my sanctified imagination, I was wondering, you know how you give somebody a name, you, you know, you see him and you, I have a daughter, we have a daughter, we actually had the baby together. Um, her name is Hannah Ruth, Hannah Ruth. I have a name for her going on, based on the Ruth, all her life I've called her Rudy. And so if I see her, I'm the only person ever that calls her Rudy, I think. And it's a term of endearment. Um, hey, Rudy, um, Jesus, wouldn't it be sweet if Jesus gave you a special name? And whenever he saw you, he goes, you, rock you. You rock. Anyway, it's, a, it's Peter, uh, Simon Peter, gets into the boat. Simon's asking to put out a little from the land. Now, this would be a dual purpose. One would be to distance himself a little bit from the crowd pressing in. The other, most people believe, was an acoustic reason that it would, his voice would project that way. And he taught the people from the boat. Get the scene. We're in Capernaum, this, sea, uh, this fishing town on the shore of this Lake Gennesaret, Galilee. There's a synagogue right there about 80 paces away, 80 feet away. Sorry, it's Peter's big house. Peter the fisherman has a, the large prominent home there got these other fish fishermen that work with him or partner with him and he's got a fleet he's got more than one boat out there There's a couple of boats everybody's come to Capernaum where he's done many works and now they want to hear everything he has to say and they're pressing in and so he's now he's out on the water and he's speaking how would you like to have been there just to listen to that teaching and to smell the smells and hear the sounds and see the sights. And this is interesting. Peter listened to what Jesus said. And he also did what he said. Years ago, I was given an assignment I didn't ask for at all. I was pastoring a church and I always have aspired to be a pastor and I never have any other desire or interest at all ever in my life to just to be a pastor but a guy that had mentored me and was a national leader, I, I went to visit a ministry, and he recruited me to run a large building there, a large training center in Flint. And he, he, I could tell he was recruiting me. I didn't expect it, and I was really shocked, and I, I knew I wasn't his guy. I knew I couldn't do it. I knew I couldn't run a 16-story hotel with 500 rooms and two restaurants and a large staff people that were there. I, I knew I wasn't organized enough to do that and I said to him you didn't even read my resume and my family was in the study that day do you remember that Lois and he goes this is your resume right here and he pointed to the kids and to Lois and I go well you probably should talk to them a little bit more and I told him every bad thing I could remember about me because I figured when I was done he would say no you're right you you you're not my man but when, he got done, when I got done, he says to me, nothing that you said disqualifies you. And, and he says, I'd like you to come here and I'd like you to run this building. And I go, I wouldn't know how to do that. And here's what he said. I'll never forget this. He said, I'm going to give you my phone number. And when you have a decision to make, just call me and I will help you. <laughs> He's a really high control guy. So he liked to operate like that. He basically said, call me and I will tell you what to do. So for the next five years, I worked there, and whenever I had a big problem, I just called him 
And I told him about it, and he told me what to do. And I did what he said, and that was that. And uh, it worked out pretty well, because he simplified it. Just do what I tell you to do. Well, he was a human being, and that wouldn't always work with a human being. But this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, is for Jesus to say, I'm going to tell you stuff, and then you do it. Even if you've already done it, and if I say do it again, you do it again. This is cute. My little cute uh, title for this sermon is A Carpenter's Guide to Fishing. I, like, I kind of like that. I thought that was pretty funny. A Carpenter's Guide to Fishing. You're a professional fisherman. You have a big house in town, and other people work for you. You're probably known as the big man on campus when it comes to fishing. And you have labored all night and caught nothing. You've been skunked, and you're a professional. And along comes a carpenter. And he says, excuse me, this, here's what you got to do. You know, cast the, the, the push out of the deep, cast your nets out. Wouldn't you say, hey, wait a minute, you build houses and I will catch fish. But, yeah, of course, but this was a special carpenter because he was also a carpenter who taught and healed, cast out demons. And this was probably not Peter's first exposure to Jesus. There's probably an exposure previous to this. There's a brief account given in Matthew and a brief account repeated in a parallel account in Mark and they have some differences. So most Bible scholars believe that in those where they were mending the nets, it was in a different time when Jesus had said to follow me, and that perhaps we're going to see in a minute, Peter tried to follow him without success, and this is not actually the first time that Jesus said, follow me. But again, we don't know for sure. It's, it's guesswork. But, but one thing we do know, and that's this, from watching what Jesus tells us, through, what the Holy Spirit tells us through uh, Luke, and that is, a disciple is a person who listens to what Jesus said and obeys, even if it doesn't make sense to them. They listen and they obey. And that kind of gives us a hint about why so many don't follow Jesus. Because they don't want to listen. Because they're willful. Because they listen, but they don't want to do what he says. Because for whatever reason, they don't think it'll work. It wasn't what they had in mind. It's easy to not follow Jesus because we have our own thing that we want to do or because we just won't listen if we want others to listen to us more than we want to listen to him, then we would miss what he had to say. And you know how this, you can translate this, can't you? You listening, what would it look like for you to listen to Jesus right now? It would probably look like reading your Bible. Wouldn't you agree? We listen to the voice of the Lord by reading his in Scripture word. We listen through those who teach us God's word. We, we listen to those who are in authority over us. Um, we, we listen to the still, small voice of the Spirit in a subjective way in our own hearts when something, we have an impression that's given to us that corresponds with the Scripture and our circumstances. We, but sometimes we think we know better. And so here was Peter the fisherman listening to Jesus the carpenter, and he could easily, and he, and he actually says, you notice what he says? It's kind of cute. Um, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, that's good he said, Master, 
We toiled all night and took nothing. But then he doesn't stop there. What does he say? But at your word. Did you, do you remember this from the King James like I do as a little child? Nevertheless, at your word. Nevertheless, at your word is how it goes in the King James. I remember as a child. Nevertheless, at your word. But at your word. But because you said, I will let now the nets. Great idea. There's a, there's, a, there's a pro tip for disciples right there. And that is, you may have labored all night and caught nothing. You may have tried everything you know to try, and it didn't work. But if Jesus tells you to do something, you just do it. Because he said it. If the word says it, just trust him. That's what a disciple does. A disciple listens. And a disciple obeys. And of course, you know what happened. <laughs> Once we were fishing on Lake Erie. A guy in a church named Steve Day had a boat up on Lake Erie and he wanted us to go fishing with him, which was great. I, I wasn't really all into the fishing so much, but I do like people and I wanted to hang out with Steve and my boys thought it'd be fun. So it'd be, it'd be a great day fishing on Lake Erie. Kyle and Chuck, our oldest two boys, and they were just little boys at the time. And we drove up to Lake Erie from, we lived in Ohio at the time. Um, and and uh, we drove up to Lake Erie and we got on Steve Day's boat and we were, we were like trolling for bass. I think that's what you call it. We had these big plugs, and it was fun. It was fun. It's active fishing. It wasn't like sitting and looking at a bobber fishing like in the pond when I grew up. It was like fishing for hyper people like me, where you're always doing something. So, so it was. Tr so we're so this boat's going in, and we're casting these big uh, lures out of the water. And there, it took a little bit of patience, not a lot. Um, I don't know who caught a, a, a bass first, but uh, there was Steve and myself and our oldest son, Kyle, and little Chuck. Chuck was just a little kid, and he might have been five, six years old. He's a little, little kid, and he was impatient like his dad. And, uh, and I don't know who caught one first, but somebody caught a big bass. I mean, we're, they were nice, big, you know how we do. They were like 18 inches or something. They were big. They were big. I got pictures somewhere. But they were big bass from the lake. It was pretty exciting. Bigger fish than I'd ever caught before. I'm like, whoa. So I think, you know, Steve caught one, and I caught one. Kyle caught one. Chuck didn't have his line in the water enough because he was just a little kid, and he was impatient. And then he got discouraged, and he started to pout, like, oh, I'm not going to get a fish. And then he didn't have his line in the water at all. And, you know, you're guaranteed not to catch a fish if you don't put your line in the water at all. And I was fishing when a big bass hit my plug, and I kind of yanked it to try to set it and then hit the release. And then I handed it to Chuck, and I said, I didn't tell him that a fish was on, you know. I said, here, you fish this line for a while. So He's just a little guy. I never forget him. Take the pole. And he's just kind of like, when he caught, when he reeled in the slack that was in the line, he's like, whoa. And then he was like, you know, Babe Winkleman, like, oh, oh. And it's just fun. You know, I got one on. And he caught that, brought that. I remember he brought that big fish in. And he was so excited. His face was flushed with excitement. And it was all exciting. And, and years and years later, Chuck and I are having coffee. He's an adult. And I said, you know that fish that you caught on Lake Erie? You never really caught that. That was me. I hooked it and I gave you the line. He goes, I knew that at the time. I just didn't want you to feel bad because you're trying so hard for me to have a good day. You can't outsmart that kid. So I super smart. But I always think about that because I think, you know, when I go out and I try to do something for the Lord, the Lord is like, here, I got one on for you. I'm going to hand you the, this is what it is. That's so the way it is. I got one on for you because you're clueless. And you're powerless, and you will labor all night and catch nothing. If it wasn't for me, nothing good would ever hear. And he hands you the fall, and you're like, look what I got. He goes, good job. This is true. This is a theological basis for that. You obey him, and he does the miracle stuff. 
I don't know who needed to hear it today, but you may have labored all night. You may be just weary. You may be tired. You may be saying, I'm not going to pray anymore. I'm tired of praying for that same thing. But if he says, go out into the deep water and let down the nets, go out into the deep water and let down the nets, because a disciple listens to Jesus and does what he says. Then you notice what happened. It's, it's, it's amazing. I, I watched a film adaptation of this. It was really cute to watch. The guys were like, yeah, we did this all night. They're in the boat. But then when the, when the fish hit, it lurches the boat. It's probably what happened. It lurches the boat and almost capsizes the boat. And then suddenly these guys that are lethargic and they're just like dragging, all of a sudden they're just alive. They're running with their friends. All their friends come literally running as fast as they can. And they're going, get on that side. It's going to turn over. And just noise. That's probably what it was like. Something like that. Simon says, when they'd done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help. And they came and they filled both boats. So they began to sink. Now I've caught a big fish before, but I've never caught a boat full of big fish or two boats full of fish. I've seen on the internet, the carp, like in China, jumping in the boat. You ever seen that? That's fun to watch. Google that after church. Yeah, this is like two boats full of fish and they're going down beneath the waterline. And what did Peter do? Peter's like, oh, you know, if I'm Peter, I'm jumping up and going, I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be rich. I'm going to take my wife shopping. This is going to be fun. What does Peter do? Yeah. He knows there's something going on here and he is, falls on his face, falls on his knees. And he says, depart from me. And he says something odd. I am a sinful man, O Lord. He knows something's happened here. And so this is the second thing about a disciple. A disciple is a person who listens to Jesus and does what he says. And a disciple is a person who confesses their sinfulness and their need. And that's how you start, and that's how you continue. When you stop confessing your need, you really stop following. When you stop confessing your sinfulness, this is a great secret in life. A lot of people think, like if you're, maybe if you're a man, this is particularly true. I don't know if it's true for girls or not. I've never been a girl. Um, and that is, uh, you're, you're supposed to kind of not admit you're wrong. Admitting you're wrong is a sign of weakness. Admitting you're wrong isn't particularly manly. You want to get through life as much as possible without ever admitting that you're wrong. But you can't be a disciple unless you admit that you're wrong. And here was Peter. As soon as God, Jesus performed this miracle, as soon as God allowed Jesus to perform this miracle, Peter was conscious of his own sinfulness. This may have been because he tried before and failed to follow the Lord. Here he falls down and says, depart from me. Pass, pass by me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Isn't that interesting? And he said, don't be afraid. They were, they were awestruck. So this is the second thing true about a disciple. And this is maybe why they confess their sin and they confess their need. 
and their inability. And that's maybe why many don't follow the Lord because they, of their shame and their guilt of their past. They, they, I, can't, I can't be around you, God, because I feel guilty. And Satan wants you to believe that. Demons why I can't be around you, God, because you know the things that I've done in my past. I can't have the blessing of God because I've sinned. No, no, no. It's the opposite. You can't have the blessing of God until you admit that you have sinned. Hear, hear this and believe this. This is what Peter saw. Some people don't follow the Lord because of a strong awareness of their sin or their guilt or their shame or their inadequacy. Is that you today? Is that somebody here today that you're like, I would follow the Lord, but he knows what I've done. And he knows who I am. And so I'll never qualify. I've felt this way before. I, I shouldn't be, I, I hear a voice. You shouldn't, you shouldn't tell people you're a Christian. We know who you are and we know what you've done. Peter had that. There's a third thing I noticed, and that is the obvious thing, and that is you, a, a disciple listens and obeys, and a disciple confesses their sin and need, and a disciple follows Jesus. A disciple goes where Jesus goes, or goes where Jesus sends, says what Jesus says to say, doesn't have his own agenda or he, he's certain to make sure that his agenda is in line with it is God's agenda for him. But many don't follow because other things are just more important to them. Or they don't follow because there are other places they want to go. Or they don't follow because there are just other things they want to say. They, they don't trust somebody else with the agenda. They have their own agenda, so they're not following Jesus. Imagine this. Uh, sometimes... We don't follow him because we think, well, if a person that powerful, I would want him to endorse my plans or empower my ideas. And a lot of people, that's their Christianity. That, you know, men that go to church so that their wife will behave. Men that go to church so that their kids won't embarrass them is not Christianity, right? That's, that's kind of hocus pocus, what that is. It doesn't work like that. And that's not discipleship. It'd be a little bit like Peter. Can you imagine Peter walking away with Jesus and going, man, you got some mean fishing skills right there. If you, I got, I got James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and they're, they're kind of hotheads, but you know, they're pretty good fishermen, but you, <laughs> I've never fished with anybody like you. Why don't you join my team? What if Peter said, I mean, that would be a boss move, wouldn't it? Hey, why don't, you're a good fisherman. Is anybody else enjoying this? I mean, hey, why don't you join my team, Jesus? And Jesus, Peter would say, we would be killing them. We'd be killing them. And you do this every day? We'll own this place. I'll make you a partner. It's bizarre, isn't it? You're not even laughing. But it's actually it's kind of funny for people with a sophisticated sense of humor. Obviously not you people. You know, you don't get it. Jesus, he didn't ask Jesus to be on his team. Jesus said, you follow me. Peter didn't say to Jesus, you follow me. So there's that. What does a disciple do? Listens, does what he's told. A disciple continually has a sense of their own inadequacy and sinfulness. A disciple goes where Jesus tells him, follows Jesus, goes, where would Jesus go? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? That's what a disciple does. Fourth, a, a disciple would actively help others follow, too. Notice where this goes. For, verse 9, he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch. Verse 10, so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. 
And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid because from now on you'll be catching men. (laughs) You're going to be fishing for men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him to fish for men. Doesn't that sound familiar to anybody? Follow Jesus and help others follow Jesus. That's what it means to follow Jesus. You always are helping other people to follow Jesus. You get the mission. To follow Jesus doesn't mean he joins you on your mission. It means you join him on his mission. So why do many not follow? Because there are other things they want to do and there are other things they want. They they, They don't care about others. Or they're selfish. Or they don't realize the fulfillment of it. The boats begin to sink. These guys are going to talk about this for the rest of their lives. They don't see the eternal reward of it. If they caught a lot of fish, they'd have a lot of money, and they'd have what you could have. They'd eat well. They'd dress well. They'd be highly esteemed. But if they go and help others follow Jesus, the reward is forever in heaven. And there's also a tremendous fulfillment in knowing that you helped somebody at that level. It's unlike anything else you could ever do. It's a a thrill like nothing else to think of that. But people sometimes don't follow Jesus because they can't see forward into the future, into heaven, and into the reward that will be given. And so they don't follow because they think there's something that's going to be more fun or, or more valuable. Here's the fifth thing. Follow Jesus, you have to leave anything behind that hinders you from following Jesus. It doesn't really mean you have to always leave everything behind. Sometimes the Lord will say, yeah, take that along, let's go. But mostly not. Mostly it's, oh, I was going to do this, but now I'm going to follow you. And I was going to, I had this idea, but now you're going to tell me what to do. I'm going I'm to follow you. It'll be more fulfilling than what you had in mind. But that's what it says there in verse 11. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. But sometimes we don't follow him because they're just things we don't want to leave behind. We just are hanging on to our stuff or our ideas. Now listen, think about this just for a minute. You may, you know, all disciples who follow Jesus help others. Not everybody is a full-time Christian minister or missionary. Not everybody is. In other words, and I'm basing this on a knowledge of the Bible, right? You, you have a knowledge of the Bible. If you study the Bible, you'll notice some people are full-time, like paid, full-time pastors or missionaries, right? Other people, they are short-term. Like Jesus, when he was on earth, was supported by widows, says, whose, there must have been some income there initially. Somebody worked. Have you ever had something you didn't work for? Like, my wife bought me a Jeep once that I didn't work for, and she didn't work for, and her mom didn't work for it, and her dad didn't work for it. Well, dad might have worked a little bit for it, right? But her grandma and grandpa, grandpa, the Hattons, they worked for that. George and Ruth Hatton worked for that red Jeep I had. Hard. (laughs) Hard work. I never have smoked tobacco myself, but I have driven a Jeep that was bought with money that was from tobacco rights that were sold. Just an interesting observation. I called my Jeep George because that was 
Lois's grandpa's name. He's the guy who actually went out and worked. <laughs> and Ruth, they worked and they saved and they bought properties and we inherited money and Lois bought me a Jeep. So I called it Red River George because they were from the Red River area of Kentucky. Anyway, they worked. It is okay for someone to work and to give a missionary money so they don't have to labor, but they can go to another place with the gospel. That doesn't make them holier than the people who worked and gave them money, does it? Well, wouldn't. Wouldn't it almost be a higher order to say, I will work and give. So what I'm, what I'm saying is, if you get confused when you read a passage like this, and you go, I want to follow Jesus, but I don't know if I want to be a full-time missionary. He's calling me to be a full-time missionary, a full-time pastor. That's not what it's saying. Because sometimes people are in lifelong vocational ministry, and sometimes people are in short-time ministry, and some people are, support themselves, and they're like in a tent-making ministry. The apostle Paul was a tent-making minister. But one thing is not an option. If you follow Jesus, you can't say, I follow Jesus, but I don't help other people follow Jesus. No, that, that wouldn't be a disciple. You, there's got to be somewhere in there where you take the gifting you have and the ability that you have and the position where you are and you get to be involved in the work of the Lord. And you help other people follow Jesus. So maybe you start in a very, very simple way like you help at Operation Christmas Child thing. And, and, and you're helping people follow Jesus or, or you make curtains for the cabin up at uh, Youth Haven. So little ones have a nice place. Or you donate money for the uh, homeless shelter. Or you witness at work. Or you walk over next door and you bring baked goods because you're trying to be a good neighbor because you're concerned for your neighbor's soul. But you don't have the option of saying, I follow Jesus, but I just let people go to hell. That's not following Jesus. If you'd like personal coaching on this, we'd be happy. See myself, see Pastor Jordan, see one of the elders. We'll, we'll give you personal coaching. We have men and ladies that can do that. We have a little stuff we've... It, you know, since I've written up those little booklets, the spokes booklets, I call them, they're not the greatest. They're just a thing. But since I've written them up and asked the Lord to let me show people, I get to show people that all the time. It's almost like the Lord was saying, look, you just try, you know, let down the nets. I'll put the fish in them. You just like, if you say to the Lord, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to witness. I want to testify. I want to have somebody that I know went to heaven because I witnessed. I, I, I want to have, I want to serve you. He, he, he'll say, let down the nets. And, and he will let you serve him. But you don't want to say, I almost followed Jesus. You don't want to say, I kind of followed Jesus. You don't want to say, I said I followed Jesus. You don't want to say, I had friends who followed Jesus. You, you want to follow him yourself. And, and he, and can, I, can I just say this? Here, think about this. Who are we talking about following here? God, Jesus. He's good. He's kind. He's loving. He knows what's good for you. He's not going to be mean to you. He's not going to treat you bad. He, he may ask you to suffer, but he'll reward you in a way that someday you will thank him that you got to suffer for him. And we may have suffering. That may very well happen. But there will come a day when they will be compensated for that suffering forever and forever and forever. And so a true disciple is in such love with Jesus and such awe of Jesus 
that he sets aside his guilt or her shame or inadequacy or ambition or personal desires and follows, always seeking to help others follow. And in so doing, they discover abundant life. So we call today's message humorously a carpenter's guide to fishing. And that was for humorous effect. But a more accurate tag on this story would be Jesus' guide to a full and happy life. Think about that little story. I wrote this in my little story about my fishing story I started with. Can I tell you my favorite little part of that? Every once in a while, is this. Every once in a while, on a perfect summer night, when an impatient boy is flailing the water in all the wrong way, with all the wrong bait, providence will smile on him in spite of himself, and he will hook into a fish that will still live in his memory when his sons have sons and daughters. When his sons and daughters have sons and daughters. But think of it. How much more thrilling would it be once our faith becomes sight and we're in the presence of the Lord and we say, oh, there's that little boy that went to camp. I think I might have donated to that. There's that little girl who had such a sad home life, but we helped her go to camp where for one week they told her the Jesus stories and she was never the same after that. Or a neighbor, like I was looking over my mom and dad's back fence once. They live out in the country then, and they only had one neighbor. And I was looking over the fence, and I asked my mom and dad about them. They were German folks living next door. They were very quiet, and they lived to themselves. And I said, what about them? And my mom and dad go, oh, they go to our church. I go, oh, I didn't realize they went. Well, they didn't, they said. They didn't. Uh, the lady, I think her name was Hilda, maybe that's wrong. Mom started to befriend her and do some projects. She loved her grandson. I think mom made pajamas for the grandson or something. And eventually she came to know the Lord. And then my dad found out the man went to the hospital. So he went and visited him in the hospital. And then he went back and he went back. And eventually he led him to the Lord. My dad told me that story when I was standing there looking over the fence. And here's the part I wanted to tell you. It motivates me and encourages me. My dad said that before he died, that man died, or after my dad led him to the Lord, he looked at my dad and he said, Reverend, thank you for pursuing me, he said. That's what he said. Thank you for pursuing me. Wouldn't it be something if the Holy Spirit is telling you right now, Push out into the deep. Let down the nets. I'm about to do something. And you'll talk about it. Not for the rest of your life, but forever. <laughs> It'd be sweet, wouldn't it? I know that's why you're here. I'd like you to stand and receive a blessing. If, if you don't know the Lord and you'd like somebody to explain, stand, would you, to receive a blessing? If you don't know the Lord today and you'd like somebody to explain how that you can know for sure that you have eternal life, and a place in heaven when you die, would you not go that way, but come this way? And we'll talk with you, and we'll explain to you how. And, and, and here, don't feel badgered today. I hope you didn't get that impression. Be, feel welcome. It's like, let's follow Jesus. Let's see what he tells us to do. Let's, let's go where he says. Let's say what he wants us to say. Let's, let's see what happens when we follow him. Receive a blessing.